Hi there, love. You're listening to episode one of the Being and Doing Now podcast, where we explore what it means to know yourself better, love yourself more, and share from the heart. So when it comes to happiness, here's a story that I have heard from the time that I was young about how to be happy. In fact, it's so common a story that I would bet that you have heard some version of it yourself. And it goes like this. If you work hard, apply yourself, and get good grades in school, you'll be able to get into a good college. And if you work hard, apply yourself, and get good grades in college, you'll be able to get a good job. And if you work hard, apply yourself, and do well in your career, you'll be able to earn a good salary and get benefits. And if you do that for 40-ish years, well, now it's more like 50-ish years, you can retire, and then you'll get to do things like travel and enjoy life and experience true freedom and live the way you really want to live. And that is so much the formula for a happy life, or so we're told, that you'll get to your deathbed and you'll look back on your life and you'll get to be content that you lived a good and meaningful and fulfilling life. Oh, and I almost forgot. Along the way of those 40 or 50 years of working, you're to meet your mate and get married and have children and buy a home for all of you, likely with a white picket fence somewhere in the suburbs, and then teach your children to do all the things that you did and continue the cycle. So I want to say first and foremost that there is absolutely nothing wrong with that story. If you are living that life and you truly feel happiness and joy and contentment as you're doing so. You're not just going through the motions and doing what you think you should be doing or living according to the storyline and telling yourself that you're happy. But if you're genuinely feeling happy, it's not a bad story and it's not a bad life. It's a really good life to live. And know that I'm not knocking it at all if that is how and when you feel happy. My question is this, though. If that is such a surefire way to happiness for everybody, why do so many of us who start down that path come to find ourselves so incredibly unhappy or discontent or like something is missing? And why are so many of us seeking and finding other ways to live that do align with our own joy? So what I want to focus on today are three types of stories that shape our lives. The story I just mentioned is of the first type. And I call those the stories that are told to us. And the one I mentioned is just one story that we hear. And that's often when we're young and we're vulnerable and we're impressionable. You know, these stories are often told to us by very well-meaning, well-intentioned people who are tasked with taking care of us and keeping us safe. You know, it's their job to help teach us about the world and guide us to our highest and best good. People like parents and elder family members and teachers and spiritual or religious leaders. And I mean, unless things go terribly awry in the form of abuse or being in the care of people who really don't have our best interests at heart, I believe these folks genuinely do their best to guide us along the road of life. So before we go any further down this path of these stories that shape our lives, I just want to take a minute to look at three of the challenges I see with this oral tradition we have with these stories that are told to us. Because I think it's in looking at the challenges that we can see through to some of the truths. 
So first, what these often well-meaning and again, well-intentioned folks share with us are their perceptions and perspectives about concepts like happiness and fulfillment and abundance, which as we discover as we move through life, don't necessarily align with our own. They may be repeating a story that they heard and that was passed down to them from previous generations, or they could be offering us what they personally believe to be true. And while these tales might contain bits of truth and wisdom, taking as wholesale truth the stories that were told as children about how to live or what happiness looks like really isn't an effective method of living joyfully. So second, being happy takes a set of qualities and even skills that not everybody is willing to develop. We engaged in them rather naturally when we were kids, like living from a place of openness and love, you know, finding joy in the seemingly simple moments, playing with absolute abandon. You know, so sometimes it's a matter of us just reconnecting with what we already know, but we've lost touch with along the way. And other times we do need to develop certain skills if we want to be happy, like learning how to reframe deeply ingrained beliefs or how to navigate painful experiences with wisdom and compassion for ourselves and for other people. And, you know, given that nobody can guide us to a place that they have been unwilling or unable to go themselves, Let's face it, not every elder or person who presents themselves as a guide for us is actually going to be a suitable guide for us. So the third challenge with the story is that happiness is a very individual process. It is not a one-size-fits-all thing. Saying that there's one way to live and thrive, it's like walking into a vast clothing store where there are seemingly infinite options for color and size and style, but saying that you can only go pick from this rack right here, and on the rack are one-size, one-color pants and tops. I mean, that seems ridiculous, right? So I see the story about the good grades, the good college, the good job, etc., etc., as one that's infused with lots of opinion, lots of shades of gray, lots of expectations and gaps, falsehoods, half-truths, and even some kernels of real truth. But we've got to pick through and discern what the truth is and what the half-truths are and where the gaps are to get to the gold for us. It's really like separating the wheat from the chaff. So in the story, I see that there are some aspects of truth that speak to both the way our society is set up right now and in what we can glean from it in terms of things that are genuinely valuable to us. So to look at some of those things and to put some context to these concepts, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and share some of my own story with you. Not every podcast going forward is going to be about me or my story, but since this is our first full episode together, it feels like sharing some of it will help you get to know me a little bit better. Plus, I know that in hearing other people's stories, I get insight into and about my own. So I hope that you hear pieces of your own story here, or at least pick up on a thread that is meaningful to you somehow. So as I mentioned, I did hear this story in my own family, and it was modeled for me growing up in a lot of ways. You know, my parents were professional people. My mom was a nurse. 
My dad was a banker. My mom went to nursing school and my dad got his degree uh, after he entered the workforce. He worked full time and then he went to college at night. You know, they both worked hard and they did everything that they could to ensure that my sister and I had more opportunities than they felt like they had. So that's why they stressed getting an education. I went to private schools and going to college was just an automatic thing for me. I never really questioned it. And yes, I do realize that that is a very privileged kind of perspective. So this point about education and a college education in particular, as it relates to that happiness story, I think is a good one to look at for a minute, because to me, it bears out some of the kernels of truth I mentioned a minute ago. You know, not long ago, I saw a clip on TV where Academy Award winning actress Viola Davis was being interviewed. So hearing about and feeling the contrast between her life and mine in Rhode Island, where we both grew up, was particularly poignant for me. Now, she and I are not that far apart in age, but the worlds we grew up in, in the very small state of Rhode Island, were vastly different. She said she grew up in abject poverty in Central Falls, which is a city that's just over one square mile in area, and the last I checked, had the highest violent crime rate in the state. Now, all I knew about Central Falls growing up was that that's where we went to get kielbasa, which was a staple in my Polish grandmother's cooking. And we often drove through the city to visit relatives on the other side of the state. But that was it. I would experience Central Falls through the window of the car as we drove to it and through it. But Viola Davis had a very different view, not only about Central Falls, but of life. She said she grew up in abject poverty, in rat-infested apartments, and she had to steal and get food out of garbage cans just to eat. So contrast that with my experience, where I went to private schools, I never had to worry about having a roof over my head, I had my own bed and my own room in a beautiful home, and I never had to worry about where food was going to come from. So here's what Viola Davis said about education in that little clip that I saw. She said it was an equalizer. It was the way to level the playing field for someone like her who had grown up in poverty. So there absolutely are benefits to getting a college education and ways that it contributes to a better and happier life. And that is one very powerful example. You know, education also opens our worlds by exposing us to different ways of thinking and being. It teaches us how to think, how to look at things more critically and from different viewpoints. It doesn't teach us what to think, but it does teach us how to think. And it prepares us for work we may have dreamed of, like being a doctor or a lawyer or a writer. And quite frankly, from a very practical standpoint, in modern society, having a college degree means that you're going to have access to a number of higher paying and often better quality jobs that folks who don't have a degree simply don't have access to. A lot of times, unfortunately, they find that those doors are closed to them. They may have the practical experience or the work experience, but if they don't have a degree, often they're turned away or worse, not even considered. So a college degree can make a huge difference in the quality of life. I'm not denying any of that by any stretch of the imagination. But who says it needs to be a four-year degree? I mean, if you love working with natural materials like wood or stone, maybe what would feel best for you is going to a trade school. The world needs skilled labor, and it is an honorable profession. The point is the path is yours to pave. 
because the notion of getting a four-year degree is not a promise or guarantee of a happy life, and the path does not look the same for everyone. And it's not part of some formula like an arithmetic equation where you can put 1 plus 3 plus 5 on the left side of the equal sign. And if you don't add any other variables, you can be assured when you're done with the formula, you're going to get 9 on the right side of the equal sign each time you do it. So that's the thing, though, that's kind of implied in that story that we're told when we're young that if you do these things, you will be happy and you'll get the outcomes you want. But as we find in life, that is not necessarily the case. There are always variables, whether they come from within us, whether they're circumstantial and we're responding to them, but there's always variables that alter the equation. So a little more about how that looked and felt for me. So being a good, quote unquote, child of the 70s and 80s that I was, I followed the path that was laid out for me. I don't recall, as I said, ever really thinking about, much less seriously considering not going to college. It was more a part of the path, and I was doing what felt normal to me at the time and what was just kind of expected, you know, in my family and from the schools that I went to. You know, I focused and I studied. I did well in school. I went to a small but academically excellent college. I graduated magna cum laude, and I got a job right out of school. It was around this time, after graduating and setting out on my own, that the second type of story that we'll look at today began for me. And those are the stories that we start to live based on the stories that are told to us. Now, up until this point, of course, we already are living out the stories that are told to us. But I see a distinction between the time that we're essentially living at home or under somebody else's roof and the time that we leave the nest, such as it is, however it is, and we start living on our own. Because although we leave that nest and think that we're breaking free or moving on from whatever paradigm we're in, those patterns and that programming and those stories are playing out in how we're living and what we're doing, you know, until we become conscious that we are living out that programming and those stories and somebody else's idea of a happy life. So after graduation, I started working at a small consumer magazine as an editor, and that included a lot of writing. You know, I went to work every day, I worked hard, I paid attention, I applied myself, I started learning about how to really apply my craft well. I did a good job and all that good stuff. I worked a second job as a waitress, I kept my bills paid, I started to save a little bit of money, and you know, that went on through my 20s until toward my late 20s I got married. So I was doing everything that I thought I was supposed to do according to the story that was told to me. And yet I felt like I was waiting for life to begin. I felt increasingly unhappy and I did what I think a lot of us do or can tend to do. And that is to start to question, you know, what is wrong here? Not only what is missing, but what am I missing? You know, is there something maybe wrong with me, <laughs> fundamentally wrong with me that I just can't seem to get it together in terms of living this life that I was told should make me happy when it's not making me happy, right? Is it me? So even though I thought I was doing everything right, at a very deep level, there was still so much that just didn't feel right. I longed to write for myself, and to me that meant writing books and writing freelance articles even on topics that I felt were meaningful rather than other people's projects on topics that were not as meaningful to me. 
And I felt like I was using up all my creative energy in service of other people's work. And I just felt like I had nothing left at the end of the day. I marveled at people who could come home after an eight or a 10 hour day and sit down and write or, you know, do it on their lunch hour or do it, you know, in the morning when they got up or on the weekends, finding those little bits of time when they could do it. I simply felt like I had nothing left to put toward that. And often I felt like I was working in a factory, but I was using my brain rather than my hands. It simply wore me out. So I wasn't happy at work. I wasn't happy at home or in my relationship. I really had a hard time finding joy at that point in my life or finding happiness or even gratitude in the things that I did have. I felt like I had weights, uh, anchors on my feet. And every time I kind of got my head above water a little bit, you know, the anchors just, there was like an extra force on those anchors that would pull me under again. So it was not conducive for well-being. So by age 30, I was extricating myself from my very brief marriage. And at that point, I didn't know exactly what would bring me happiness. But I did know that doing the same thing in the same place with the same person and the same people and expecting a different result would not get me there. You know, that was not it. So I started again. I moved from the Northeast to the Southeast. It was a new state, a new region, something completely different. It was a new culture even. But you know what? Even with all of that newness, I found many of the same things. New jobs started to feel like the old jobs. New relationships started to feel like the old relationships. And finally, it started to dawn on me that a new job in the same field or a new relationship or a new home was not going to be the thing that would finally make me happy. After all, wherever you go, there you are, right? So you also can't have a new type of relationship when you bring along the one thing that has been constant in all of the previous ones, and that is yourself. In my case, me. So while I found many of the same things in the new faces and new places, I also connected with a spiritual community that felt like the healthiest family I had personally ever experienced. It was truly transformational for me. You know, folks there helped me to start to think and see and perceive differently. And they offered this loving, unconditional support in a social kind of way that is so critical in healing. I felt like my brain, my body, my spirit, and my emotions were literally being rewired. And I saw and experienced people who not only talked differently about life than what I had known previously, but they lived it. They modeled it. And it felt so right to me. It was like coming home. So during that time, my consciousness expanded. And I continued my own journey of healing from the stories that I had been told and I had been living. And I started to realize that happiness begins from the inside and moves outward. And that we don't need to stay. We absolutely don't need to stay in abusive or painful circumstances. But I started to realize that it's not the circumstances themselves. It's not money or lack thereof. It's not stuff or even like the finer things in life that are going to provide happiness. All of that helped for me to provide the transition into the third type of story that shapes our lives. And those are the stories that we create for ourselves. And to me, 
this is where the internal happiness that we have been seeking and talking about really starts to take shape, not only within us, but also in the external circumstances of our lives. So this is where and when we really start to know ourselves better and where we have lived enough of life that we know what we don't want. So we are able to be more clear and accurate about what we actually do want. It's where and when we start to spend far more time doing what we enjoy and far less time doing what we don't. It's where and when we start to consciously simplify and remove the people and stuff and tasks and jobs and whatever it is from our lives that don't feel like they are in alignment with who we are now. It's where and when we start healing or continue the healing from old wounds and patterns and stories. It's where and when we start to realize that this lifetime is not endless. You know, for me, it was hearing more and more stories about people dying suddenly, you know, not even from necessarily an illness, but unexpectedly. People not only who were older than I was, but People who were my age and younger just, you know, essentially here one moment, gone the next kind of thing. It's where and when we start to realize that life is too darn short to be living anybody else's idea of what life should be or what happiness should look like, but you find it really doesn't. And it's where and when we start to realize that much of what happened to us that was so painful and so hard to let go of really wasn't about us at all. It wasn't our fault. We were not to blame and we're tired of blaming other people or even circumstances for why we're not happy. So in the stories that you create for yourself, you are taking charge and actively crafting the life you want to live. You're not only the writer, but you're the director and you are the star of your own story. Only you get to write it, to tell it, and to live it. And, you know, I'm doing the same thing by creating and sharing this podcast with you, by writing about these topics that are related to all of this and that light my fire over in my monthly column at womensbusinessdaily.com, coaching and helping you live a life you love, helping you navigate those waters and get to where you want to be, all of that means that I am actively doing it. That and many other things, which I haven't even mentioned yet. So I am living now with greater joy and happiness every day than I ever have. And if I can do it, you can do it too. So my love, that is the third kind of story that shapes our lives. There is so much to this. And for the most part today, I feel like we've talked about it in very broad strokes. So what we'll do is to keep talking about it, about what it looks like and feels like to create and shape the story for yourself so that you have more and more, not only concept, but context to help you navigate your journey. So that is all for now. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to connect with me, you can do so online at my website, beinganddoingnow.com. That's also where you can go ahead and schedule a complimentary 45-minute clarity session for yourself that helps you tune into your inner GPS. It's like getting a personalized roadmap for you and your journey to help you get from where you feel like you are to actually and actively living your vision. And if you find value in this podcast, please go over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and share it with a friend. 
All of those things help spread the word about the show tremendously, and I greatly appreciate it. So stay tuned for episode two, where life coach and filmmaker Chad Brown offers us some of his fabulous and timeless wisdom about life and love and adventure. In the meantime, please remember that you make the world a better place by knowing yourself better, loving yourself more, and sharing from the heart. Keep doing you, my love. Ciao for now.